There's some sermons that when you are an expository preacher um, that you don't want to preach. And I've argued with God about this particular text now for a good two weeks. So pray for me. So the question to be asked of you guys, have you ever doubted? Have you ever asked yourself at 1 o'clock in the morning, am I really buying this? Is this for real? Ever sat in a doctor's office after the, the doctor gave you the diagnosis and walked out and thought, is this, is this going to work? I've sat, stood in funerals before at the head of little bitty caskets and thought, where are you at, God? I've sat at the head of bigger caskets as wives of 50 years came by to say their final goodbye at that casket and they wept and they told that person, I love you so much. I don't know how I'm going to keep going without you. And then they walk past that casket and grab my hand and say, why? We hear David say things like, I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. We hear David saying things like, I am being consumed. One of the most godly movements in human history was the Puritan movement. The media and television has succeeded in making us think that they were all a bunch of stuck-in-the-mud people that we didn't, shouldn't listen to. This is a prayer from one of those Puritans. I am sadly harassed by doubts, fears, unbelief. In a spiritual darkness, my heart is full of evil surmisings and disquietude, and I cannot act faith at all. My heavenly pilot has disappeared, and I have lost my hold on the rock of ages. I sink in deep mire beneath storms, in waves, in horror, and distress unutterable. Help me, O Lord. Have you ever been there? There was a man who was a Puritan whose name was Cowperd, and he suffered with depression to the point that across his life he attempted suicide several times, and he would say, I can't feel this way and God be real. And so... Our Tuesday at 
Glencoe High School, we had the Fields of Faith. And it was an awesome time when the youth of, of the community came together. It was youth-led. And one of the girls gave her testimony. And she said, I'm not like all those super Christians who never doubt. And I'll bet there are some of you in here who thought the same thing. Who when you doubt think, I failed God. When you are up at 3 a.m. reading WebMD, looking at survival rates, have thought, I can't be a Christian doing this. For those of you and me who have found ourselves there, God gave us this text. The disciples of John reported all these things to, to John. So Jesus is going and doing a whole bunch of stuff. We've seen. All the stuff that we've seen is what we're talking about. Jesus raising the centurion's servant. Jesus healing people. Jesus teaching with authority. So John's servants go back to John and tell him what's going on. So the first question we need to ask ourselves is, who is John? Why should we care what's going on with John? Because John is very clearly experiencing doubt in this story. And so we need to look a little bit at who John is to get the full impact of what's going on. And so Jesus tells us in this very text who exactly John is. He starts out, he, said, he asked everybody there, he said, Hey, those of you who went out to hear John preach, would you go here to preach? Did you go out in the wilderness and the woods to see a reed shaken in, in the wind? Now, think about what he's saying there. John was not the kind of guy that the winds of change, the winds of public opinion would change what he thought. John was a rock. Didn't matter what everybody else thought. John was the guy who was going to stand firm on what God said. He wasn't some reed, some hunk of grass that got pushed around by the wind. John was the guy that whether it was going to get him in trouble or whether it was going to get him praised, no matter what it was, he was most concerned about what God said. Amen. That's John. And so Jesus asked those people in the crowd, why did you go out to the woods to see somebody? Is John the guy that's just swaying to and fro based on everybody's opinions? I mean, there's a lot of people, and we all know those people, who whichever way the wind's blowing, that's the way that they go. That wasn't John. John was a firm, holy man of God. John was the one that had no problem looking at the religious elite around him and saying, you brood of snakes, who warned you to flee from God's wrath? Repent! For the kingdom of God is at hand. John had guts. John was a rock. And John wasn't a sissy man either. Jesus said, did you go out to see a man dressed in soft clothes? Behold those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury or in king's courts. No, John was a neck. John was out there in the woods dressed in crazy clothes. John was out there in the woods eating from the, the lay of the land. John was a neck. There's no other way to put it. If John was alive today, he'd pair a hat, wear a, be wearing a pair of cut-off overalls. He was the guy that you look at and go, where in the world is this guy coming from? 
Because he didn't really care what everybody thought about what he wore. He didn't really care what everybody thought about what he ate. He wasn't some sissy boy that was putting product in his hair, trying to be somebody that everybody would go, oh man, that guy's good looking. He didn't care. We've all met the person whose hair's always kind of wackadoo. The guy who might show a little plumber's crack every now and then. While some names are just rolling through my mind. Uh, (laughs) Bless him, Lord. Uh, No, John was not that guy. John was not the sissy boy who cared what everybody else thought. John, in fact, Jesus said, was a prophet. Now, a prophet, Hebrews chapter 1 says that in former times, God spoke through prophets, which meant that a prophet would be given a very specific message directly from God, and his job was to go to people and express that message that was given by God, no matter what the consequences might be. In fact, Jeremiah was told, which I've always felt sorry for Jeremiah, he was told, I'm going to give you a message to go take to the people, and nobody's going to listen to you. Have a nice day. So John is a prophet, which means that God spoke to him and he had the guts to stand in front of people and tell them what God said. That was John. John was actually spoken of in the Bible and prophesied that he was coming. John is such an important character in the coming of Christ that in the book of Isaiah, we're told that John is going to come. In Isaiah chapter 40, it says, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And here Isaiah is prophesying that John would come. In fact, this idea that the glory of the Lord shall be revealed happens with John. John is out there preaching. He's out there making everybody mad. He's telling people you need to repent. He's telling people that God's kingdom's coming and you're not worthy of it. He's telling these Jewish elite that they need to participate in something that's made for people that want to convert to Judaism. You need to be baptized as if you aren't even Jews. You need to be baptized. And then he looks up and he sees Jesus coming and he is the first one to proclaim, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. John knew who Jesus was. He had grown up in Jesus' family as a cousin, so he had heard the stories of the angels and the wise men. He knew who Jesus was. And so when Jesus came and asked him to baptize him, what did John say? No, no, I don't deserve to baptize you. I need to be baptized by you. I'm not even, I'm not even worthy to buckle your shoes. No way. That's who John is. That's who he was. In fact, Jesus said, I tell you that among those born of women, which covers all of us, right? I don't think there are any exceptions in here. Among those born of women, none is greater than John. Wow. Now this is Jesus talking. This isn't just me going, that's a good feller. In fact, I've never met anybody like him. No, this is Jesus talking. And he said, that John guy 
Nobody's better. Not Moses, who talked face to face with God. Not David, a man after God's own heart. Not Joseph, who stood firm through years of imprisonment. Not Daniel, who went and bowed to pray, even though he knew that would get him thrown in the lion's den. Not Shadrach, Meshach, and the billy goat. It gets a chuckle every time. You guys are cheap on that one. I'm sorry. None of those people are greater than John. There is no higher praise than Jesus saying this. So all of that set up for us to see this holy, prophetic, God-loving, God-fearing man of God say, are we for reals here? Is this, is this, are you the one? Now we know that John was in prison. We know that John had been separated from everybody else because he's locked up in a Herodian temple or uh, palace. We know that eventually John would lose his life under those same circumstances. Faithful, staying faithful. And yet at this moment, John is going, am I buying this? And I think that Jesus tells us this, uh, the, the Bible tells us this story so that when we doubt, when we have those 3 a.m. mornings, when we've just hung the phone up, when we've sat across from our mother who's dying from Alzheimer's, when we bury our child, when we bury a spouse, when we're pacing the hall in a hospital room and we're going, God, where are you at? We can look to the man that Jesus said was the greatest man born of woman and realize that we're not alone. And we can see how this godly man responds to his doubt. Because what he doesn't do is just sit around and wallow in it. Do you see how ironic it is that John is asking Jesus who he's doubting, if he's for real. Doesn't that seem contradictory? Doesn't it seem like if John wanted to know what's up, that he would have asked somebody else instead of the person that he's doubting? Let me share with you just a little trick that I've learned. If you doubt God and you tell him that, he can take it. You see, in the Psalms, we read over and over, and in our Bibles, it says stuff like, incline your ear to me. Hear my prayer, O God. And we read that, and it's King James language, and act like it ain't no thing. And in reality, it's David crying out to God and saying, listen to me. Where are you at? Why aren't you hearing me? Why aren't you acting? I'm sitting here in this hospital room. Where's the God that parted the Red Sea for me? 
Where is the God who made iron float today? I need you. Where are you at? And we hear David praying that. We hear and see in the Psalms, David staring at the hill looking, where are you, God? And John, in his case, doesn't take this to some third party. He goes to Jesus and says, are you the one? And in those moments of doubt, if you will take that in prayer to God, he can handle it. Prayer is not being fake with God in King James Version. Prayer is you talking to the God that created the universe and realizing that he hears you. And that we can boldly go before the throne of grace and say, God, I don't understand. I don't like this. I don't want this to continue. I need you. In those moments, those valleys, you see, yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, is not saying that God's going to keep us out of the valley. It's saying that when we're in the valley, he's with you. And when we're real with God, when we're honest with God, when we say, I don't like this, those are the moments that God can do something. I cast my eyes to the hills from where my help comes. My help comes from the Lord. And so we see that John goes to Jesus to ask, what is up? And I'm telling you that in those moments of doubt and those moments of crushing pain, those moments when you don't know where God is, if you will take it to God, he will answer That is why we can have this crazy contradiction of people who are going through hellacious things, who are going through cancer, who are going through the death of a loved one, and you hear them say, how wonderful is our God? Because God is pouring his grace out to them when they call on him. Jonathan Edwards' wife, after Jonathan Edwards died, wrote, his daughter, and said, we must kiss the hand that strikes us. Call on the name of the Lord, and you shall be saved. It is not just about salvation. Call on him. He's a very present help in a time of need. It's when we bottle it up. Lack of, uh, this doubt we're talking about is not a lack of faith. The lack of faith is when we refuse to take it to him. The lack of faith comes when we don't take it to him. When you bottle it up, when you go harumph. The second thing I see, the first one was, is that John went to Jesus. And the second thing I see is in Jesus' response. Jesus took John's disciples, almost like he ignored the question. They're like, hey, are you the one? Hey, come here, let me show you something. And he goes out and he heals a bunch of people. Blind people, bam, you're not blind anymore. Deaf people, bam, you're not deaf anymore. Come here, demon possessed, woohoo, you're done. I mean, he goes and just goes on this like healing rampage. It's almost like, you know, hey, are you the one? Come with me to the children's hospital, I wanna show you something. 
And then he runs everybody out of the hospital, dancing and singing and jumping. And then he says to them, now you go back to John and you tell him that the blind have seen, the deaf have heard. That's not just made up words that Jesus was saying to make him feel better. In Isaiah 35, it says, Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Love that line, streams in the desert. This book and these moments that we're talking about is your balm. It's your rock. Run to it. Run to it. I remember Psalms 121 that I just quoted. I was a young pastor. I had a guy who was in my congregation. The, co- the church was named after him. Um, I was a pastor of Ransdale Chapel Baptist Church, and this was Mr. Ransdale. So this was not the guy you wanted to make mad if you're a young pastor and your full, first full-time pastor. He ended up um, being diagnosed with stomach cancer, which is a, a horrible, horrible thing. He was in the bed. He was on a lot of drugs, and I didn't know what to do. I mean, this is the pillar of this particular church. I didn't know how to act. I didn't know how to respond to him. And so I remember all I knew to do was read the Bible to him. And so I went and I would go over there a couple of times a week and I would sit down there by his bed and I would read through the Psalms over and over again. And I thought to myself, this is an absolute waste of time because he can't hear me. He's so doped up. He's so, when he's not doped up, he's in so much pain. This is, I don't know what to do. What am I supposed to do? Ah, but I just kept on doing it. And I remember one particular day I was reading in Psalms 121. I look my, I cast my eyes to the hill from where my help comes. My help comes from the Lord. And I finished Psalm 121 and he oozed up in the bed and tapped my Bible and said, read it again. God's word is the only thing that we've got in this world that we know there's no error in, there's no doubt in. It's in black and white. It is God spoke. And even even when we don't particularly believe it, if you'll read it, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Just run to God's word. In those times of trouble, in those times of doubt, we pray and we take it to God. And the second thing we do is we run to God's word. Now remember back, if you'd been reading the text and when it was read, Jesus said that there's no one born among women who's greater than John the Baptist. And then he had this like little aside that didn't seem to make any sense. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And then he goes on to continue to talk about John. It's, it's, a, it's a weird statement. And that means, you know, you want to read that and go, well, that means I'm better than John. Ha, <laughs> suck a fool. I want that on a t-shirt, better than John. That's me right there. What does that mean? See, John didn't see 
the whole picture the way that we do. We know that Jesus lived a life of holiness, that he died on a cross for our sins, and that God raised him up on the third day. Now, the main way we know that is because of the changed lives around us. You ask me how I know he's real? Remember that old hymn? He's real within my heart. I know I've said this before, and I've actually had it offend people. Drunk people on their own don't stop being drunks. It doesn't happen. Angry, worthless people like Tom Harrison don't stop being that way on their own. And so we see that whole picture so that we know that when God allows us to go through those times, that it's not punishment. It's not God trying to hurt us. See, because of the cross, that's not how it works. As a believer in Christ, the wrath of God that you justly deserve, if you lean on the cross for your salvation, the wrath of God that you deserve was poured out on him. There is no more wrath for you. Because Jesus said he drank of the cup and it is finished. So if you get cancer, it's not God punishing you. It could be God chastising you and that's different. It could be the natural consequences of something. It could be any number of things. I don't know. One of the things that was really hard for me as a pastor to learn to say when people say to me, why do I have cancer? Why did my husband die? Why did my child die? Is to look them in the face and say, I don't know. But I know who does know and he's good. And so because we have that whole picture, we can be greater than John. And the second thing I see, and I, we read in 2 Corinthians this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Woohoo! The old has passed away. Woohoo! Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ Jesus reconciled us to himself. That's everything that we've been talking about. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. See, when I, everything's going good for me and I'm happy and everything is just the way that I like it and my vehicle's running and the bills are paid and the kids are healthy and everything's happening the way that I like it and I'm happy, that doesn't say anything about how awesome my God is. Doesn't say a word about how great God is because that's how the world acts, right? If you're getting everything you want. So in James chapter 1, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. Count it all joy? 
Woohoo! My car's getting repossessed. <laughs> yeah, come get that thing. It's in the crushing that the excellency of the power of God that is not of us can be seen by others. See, because anybody can smile on a sunny day. I think there's a song that says that, actually. If not, we should write one. Father, I know that right now in this room, there are people who don't know what you're doing, who don't understand what you're doing, who they don't like what you're doing. They're doubting you. They're doubting your word. They're doubting your church. They're hurting God, I pray that you would give each one of those people the grace to have faith. God, I thank you that you showed us this picture of John, the greatest who was ever born, doubting. And God, I pray that you would help us to respond like John. God, there are people in this room who have no idea what I'm talking about because they don't know you. They don't know that peace that passes understanding. And so, God, I pray that those people, you would open their eyes so that the things of God wouldn't be stupid and foolish to them, but they would see that their greatest need is a Savior and their greatest need is a Father. God, those people who are hurting, those people that are waiting for a test result. Those people who feel like I can't take another thing. God, I pray that you would wrap them up in your arms and hold them. God, I pray that you would show yourself mighty on their behalf. God, I pray that you would give them your spirit as a comforter. God, I pray that you would be God in their lives. Lord, these things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.